0: On deck on turning the corner, the Athletics' Cody Stevenhagen and co host Kieran Steckley try to figure out Jamer Candelario as well as examine Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal's latest performances. And welcome into another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Kieran Steckley. With me, per use, is a tired Cody Stavenhagen. It's been a long couple nights, long games for the Tigers, had a rain delay in there. A couple rain delays, actually. But Cody is powering through because you know what? That's what he does. Cody, thanks for making time late here on a Saturday night to do this podcast.
1: Oh, no worries at all. We've talked about this since college. We're not big believers in being tired, or at least like if, if you're tired and you have something to do, just like power through. Drink some coffee. Get an energy drink. Uh, drink some caffeine. Just go out. Do it, whether you're having fun, whether you're working. There will be plenty of time to rest uh, when we are old and gray. For now, let's do this podcast.
0: You know, and speaking of college in the student union in the convenience store they had a little red bull advertisement which in college that's when i started drinking energy drinks and it said no one wishes they slept more in college that's what the sign said Mm, and damn it if that's not a great marketing ploy that has stuck with me All these years since. Do
1: you you wish you slept more in college, Kieran? Like maybe some of those Friday, Saturday nights, wish you just stayed in, slept a little later.
0: Honestly, the entire weekend I would have slept. That's what I miss the most about college is just being able to sleep all weekend and do nothing. It's the best.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a joke. (laughs) Yeah, yes,
0: uh, yes. Just
1: to be clear, viewers, that's a joke.
0: So the Tigers... We we talked a couple of weeks ago about how AJ wants to avoid the roller coaster, and I think I have another structure analogy. I think we're seesawing uh, as we like watch this team because mm. you're just kind of back and forth. There's some things you like. There's some things that ugh, can be quite ugly, and you know the wins and losses. I'm past that in terms of getting emotionally drained or hyped up you know by the record i got I, i'm sort of ignoring it i'm looking more at individual player development it's only may you gotta love it yeah it's only it's only may <laughs> this is episode number 10 and we're talking about how the re- how the record you know we're just negating it but the larger point is you want to see player development and in a lot of areas we're not. And we're also now at the minor league season, this is the real Seesaw. Now at the minor league season is kicked off. We're starting to see guys go back and forth, including Victor Reyes, and then we have Joe Jimenez come up, Jake Rogers makes his debut. So I think we're about to get prime Seesaw here.
1: Yeah, we saw some moves today, Saturday, and I think there will be more to come. Some guys bouncing up and down. I mean, A.J. Hinch made the point last week of it was kind of hard for a while because you couldn't go pull the hot hitter from Toledo. You couldn't necessarily send a a Reyes or Jacoby Jones down to get some consistent A.B.s because they were just playing these alternate site games. Uh, So I think it opens up a lot, just, just the fact that the minor leagues are off and running as far as the moves that went down Saturday uh nomar mazar is back off the il we'll see how he plays he's obviously um got some power in his bat uh we didn't he had, a little speed too yeah more than you would think a, a triple on saturday and uh at first i was worried the tigers weren't going to score him but shout out i think that was nico goodrum who did a good job hitting the ball with runners on base after i tweeted out his very poor <laughs> stats with the runners on base the night before. Good job, Nico. A couple big two-strike hits in Saturday's Tigers victory. But anyway, you're going to bring up um, Mazzara, and so someone kind of had to go down. Reyes had, had been playing a little better the past few games, but he was still the odd man out, and I think a little extra time in Toledo will uh, will serve him well. Very interesting to see Jake Rogers back up here. Not great that Wilson Ramos is on is on the I.L., but I think there's a big opportunity for Jake Rogers, whether he wants to admit it or not. He's he's pretty laid-back guy. He was pretty relaxed in his interviews, saying, oh, you know, work hard, see what happens. But I think if you're Jake, you really want to show something in these 10 or so days that you're going to be up here, maybe a little bit longer, depending on the Ramos injury. But you want to show something. And I think if you show anything, and you show you can hit a little bit, there's a good chance they'll keep you and send Grayson Griner down when uh, when Ramos gets healthy. So I think it's a, a huge opportunity for Jake, and uh, he even got a base knock uh, Saturday, two RBI single. I think that was big for him to kind of get that first hit out of the way this year. And then, yeah, Erasmo uh, Ramirez had a very short-lived stint as a Tiger. He did not actually appear in a game. He got injured in his first uh stint warming up in the bullpen so that's kind of sad we'll see how long he's out and joe jimenez is back at least for the time being i don't think they want him back but if you look at this 40-man roster it was kind of joe jimenez or Bo burrows
0: well i was gonna say like you know jake roger rogers if he's gonna have that laissez-faire attitude with the media all right fine but there's no other way to look at him being in the bigs right now as anything other than an audition. I mean, one hundred percent, because need I remind you, they thought so I don't want to say thought so little of him, but they thought we don't want him touching the majors last year. uh you know, he was fourth, I believe, on the depth chart at least last season, and Al has kind of admitted this, probably promoted him too soon in 2019 he's not i use this expression a lot he's kind of in between being a young buck and an old head he's he's right there and i agree with you he, he, the opportunity is there for him to essentially force the tiger's hand to keep him in the major leagues
1: yeah i i did a um, interview with the radio station in my hometown this week and I talked about, it's a little weird for me covering Jake Rogers because he he went to my rival high school. I played baseball against him, knew him a little bit, um, have, have got to know him, you know, I've kind of reconnected with him since he's been on the Tigers, and it's like, it's not like he's like my best friend, but he's from my town, like, does a guy I kind of want to succeed, and yet he hasn't performed well. Um, there you know, multiple people in the organization who have not been pleased with his performance, and it's kind of like... Yeah, I got to point out the guy has not hit the ball, and he wasn't even quite playing up to the the lofty hype that was around him defensively. So uh, there's been plenty of reason to to kind of be critical of Jake. I think the attitude he brings, um, you know, I don't know. Like I think he was just trying to say the right things in front of the media, so sure. I don't really fault him for that. Now, if I am going to rib Jake, it's going to be for this mustache he's rocking because he's rocking like this terrible like sort of Fu Manchu sort of I don't know what it is and he had it in spring and I was like okay like guys kind of do weird stuff with their facial hair in spring training like it's first time they've shaved all off season and whatever it's like if you're trying to make the ball club man like you might want to look a little more polished you might want to look a little more presentable not that not to sound like a old-school football coach or something, but, like, I don't think it's helping your case when the manager looks at you and he can't take you seriously because you just have a ridiculous mustache on your face. Jake Rogers, we're now into May. He's still rocking the mustache. He said he's doing it to prove people wrong that uh, that he can keep it. And he also shared that first-time A.J. Henshawm since spring training, he said, I thought you weren't going to have that on your face anymore. <laughs> he still has it.
0: <laughs> I feel like A.J., Could definitely be the kind, even though he's not very old, could definitely be the kind of manager that would just be like, dude, what the F are you doing? Oh, he went to Stanford.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's like a. Be serious. Be
0: serious first. Like, I'm trying to make you my catcher and trust you to call games, and you're over here rocking something that Jason Giambi wouldn't have rocked. You know, like, I don't know. Is he inspired by Thurman Munson? Or Don Mattingly? I'm trying to think of, like, famous stashes. Does he even know that they got, those guys had stashes? Yeah, I don't want to Yeah, see.
1: he probably does. Jake knows the history of the game pretty well. But he's, like, I, I don't even know. It's, like, a bad, like, tombstone. It's not even, it doesn't look good. Like, Don Mattingly looks cool, you know? Like, uh, what's his name? Uh, Keith Hernandez, you know? Like, looks cool. Like, Jake, It's it's, I think it's supposed to be ironic. And then it's, like... You're trying to win a big league roster spot. Now's not really the time for irony. Like, first couple weeks of spring training, sure, whatever. All right, you want to stick in the bigs? Like, look like a big leaguer. He also changed his walk-up song from Garth Brooks. Uh, I couldn't really decipher what it was today. Maybe Sturgill Simpson or something, which is fine, but I miss the Garth Brooks walk-up. Shout-out Garth Brooks, Oklahoma State
0: uh, alum. Yes, and fun fact, javelin thrower at Oklahoma State. So I know many people know that, but javelin thrower at oklahoma state i wonder
1: if garth brooks and aj hinch ever cross paths i think garth's going to be a little bit uh probably at least 10 years older than aj but both from around the oklahoma city area
0: you know famous people tend to find each other and especially when you share oklahoma not the biggest state on the planet uh you know it's quite possible they've met so one last thing on jake we spent way more time on his mustache than i anticipated i'm not (laughs) mad about it it's just that's what happens when you go live can he legitimately take Griner's spot? Because obviously Ramos is, you know, you sign Ramos to be the exactly the Ramos that we've seen this year. But Griner, it's not like I've seen anything that makes me think he's got a stick. And even though he's the one catching the, the young guns, Jake has experience doing that too. And that's sort of going to have to be his calling card if he's going to be in the big leagues anyway. And we kind of know who Grayson Griner is.
1: Yeah, I asked A.J. Hinch the day Jake was brought up. I said, what are you going to be looking for from him defensively? And uh, he basically talked about you know, his setup. A.J. went into some pretty good detail about Rogers was had kind of this side saddle setup rather than squaring up to the pitcher. That's something they worked on spring training. They also just talked about calling a game. And if I were to really read into this, I think in addition to you probably need to I don't know. On this team, actually, you don't have to hit 200 because no one hits 200 on this team right now. Uh, you, you want to show you can probably hit 200 in the big leagues, but I think he needs to really trust that Jake Rogers can handle the pitching staff. I think Grayson Griner is almost surprised in how well he has uh, handled pitchers, called the game. I Just watching it, like my somewhat untrained eye, I don't love Grayson Griner as a sequencer. I thought Romine did a much better job all last year. Um, but it seems like Griner's grown in that regard to where point maybe he's better than Jake Rogers. So I think even though Jake has the better arm, more athletic behind the plate, he needs to show he can really manage these pitchers, call a good game. I thought Jake called a very good game Saturday. He worked some nice sequences despite Jose Uranian not really having his best stuff. I think if you show you can do that, um, th- then he sticks in the majors. As you said, there's no real benefit to keeping Griner around other than he slightly outplayed Jake in spring training, and you get Jake some AAA at bats. But if Jake's going to be up in the big leagues anyway, like, uh, all, all you got to do is show something, and I think there's a chance he stick around.
0: You know, Cody, I I think I have. You mentioned your untrained eye, and and your eye is more trained than mine. But I have a pretty good judgment on, you know, whether a guy looks like he's in where he belongs I guess you know it, like the guy belongs in the major leagues and then you look at the numbers and you can kind of make an assessment a guy I still and we've talked about him a decent amount on this podcast a guy I still kind of you know talk sideways about is Jamer Candelario because he's batting basically 300 so you talked about guys that can't hit 200 he's batting basically 300 forever that's worth He's had some clutch hits. He runs the bases a lot better than I thought he was capable, and he plays, safe to say, average oh, defense. Sure. I mean, he's not stellar over at the corner, but you don't you definitely don't feel like don't feel like he's a liability there. He's getting close to 30. Like, I, I maybe this is a good way to put it. I feel a lot better about Jamer than I do Jacoby Jones. And, and so you're obviously around the team on a daily basis and, and you get to talk to AJ and I don't know how often this is a topic, but it, I want to, I want to say Jamer looks like a guy that could reasonably be on the team in two years. I'm not saying what his ceiling is or whether he's a starter or whatever, but I could see it happening. There's not a whole lot of guys on the roster that I feel somewhat comfortable saying that. Am I off here?
1: No, I like. I don't think you're off. It's tricky. I think uh, AJ Hinch is still trying to figure it out. I think I'm still trying to figure it out. I think the front office has some loyalty to Jamer because he was a trade acquisition, but at the end of the day, they're they're absolutely still trying to figure it out. I think he's shown at this point. I mean, he had a very good start to the 2018 season. He had a very poor 2019. He had a very good 2020 in a shortened season, and he's come out and he's he's been the team's most consistent offensive player in 2021. I'm starting to think we've seen enough from him to think this guy can hit in the big leagues. Um, he's a little bit streaky, but he's really adapted to uh hitting breaking balls better than i ever would have thought he's he's not he still can struggle against spin but i thought that was just going to be his demise last year he's continued to to hang in there as pitchers have adapted to him he is he's uh you know an average defender maybe even slightly above average he, he plays a solid third base and so I think the question is really it becomes what's his ceiling. Is this guy like your third baseman if you're the Tigers, which of course that gets into Torkelson that gets into all t- all kinds of stuff. Uh, yeah. And then you start looking at his service time. It's like, okay, if you wanted to extend Jamer, like how much are you actually going to want to pay this guy? And I think that's where, that's why I remain of the belief. I think I've said this on the podcast before. Jamer Candelario I think you should trade. I think you should sell high, maybe at this year's deadline, uh, because you have other guys in the system coming at third. There's not, you know, a guy who on the free agent market right now. I still think would get like, uh, you know, probably a one year deal. Like, how much power is is he actually going to hit twenty plus homers? I don't know. The metrics on him right now are kind of mixed. Like everything's mixed. He he hits the ball, with some good exit velocity. He's been chasing a little bit more this season. Um, his barrel rates down from last season, so like even when you look at the advanced metrics, it's it's all very mixed, which makes me. I think it's almost I'm almost to the point where I feel safe concluding Jamer is a fine major league infielder. Maybe not, definitely not a cornerstone third baseman. Maybe not who you really want starting at third base if you're a playoff team. That's kind of where I lean right now which is actually an upgrade from what I would have said at this time a year ago.
0: For whatever it's worth, they they had this stat on the on the television broadcast. He's hitting 538 when he gets ahead in the count, which is seventh wow. in baseball. Well, I mean, it, you know, the key is obviously to get ahead in the count. But I mean, any if there's any situation in which you're hitting 538, I mean, that's a huge plus. Uh, like I said, I don't know. I keep finding reasons to like him. And then I also keep like thinking exactly what you said. Like, is this guy a third baseman on a playoff team? Right now, I still lean no. But he's a guy that can kind of hold that spot. And if the other players don't develop or in the case of Turkelson get moved, you're, you don't feel lacking there, I guess is, is a good way to put it.
1: Jamerson 298 with a 360 OBP three homers. You want to see those power numbers come up, which I easily could career 329 on base percentage. That includes a a pretty bad 2019. Those are, those are the numbers of a major league regular, you know, especially if you hit for a little more pop, that's a major major league regular.
0: And I, and I'm not anti the trade idea. I, I just sort of wonder what are you going to get? Like, you know like double a pitcher you know like uh, like it it might it, it's not a bad idea in theory but if you look out in the market it might still just be worth it to keep him on the team so i don't know that's a tough one to, to call and you mentioned uh earlier uh nico having some timely hitting that's a guy that i've been impressed with as well uh the except for the two errors he had uh, in boston that was uh Extremely uncharacteristic. We,
1: uh, yeah, I think that's kind of a one off thing. He's a he's a he's a very good infielder. And he's had a bad day that day.
0: Can we call him the shortstop right now?
1: As of now, he is the shortstop, which makes me feel better about uh uh some of the things I said about him before the season when I thought He could end the season as the shortstop, and then I was ready to take that back a week into the season. (laughs) But uh, he's, I don't know, like, Nico's another one of those guys. We've seen it for a couple years now. Really good defensive infielder, um, has some potential. Some of his at-bats, though, just drive me crazy. He cannot hit the high fastball, especially from the left side. Uh, Prior to today, he was just really struggling. He had uh, what... I, I don't know I was I was talking with Craig Monroe before today's game just about the at bats and shout and out Craig Monroe baby yeah we'll try to get him on this show sooner or later but you know Nico was a guy he brought brought up he's kind of said I I want to just go talk to Nico like see if I can show him some things and you know his point was pretty pretty simple like there's a runner on second man you know stop swinging for the fences like hit a ground ball move the guy over there's a runner on third hit the ball in the air, get a sack fly, or, or hit it hard up the middle and score him. And Nico's just had some strikeouts in big situations. He's had some really ugly at-bats. And, and so I you know I think we're at the point with Nico where like, okay, this is kind of who he is. Now he has some pop every now and then. He can connect. When he gets hot, you're like, oh, he's pretty good. I think he he still just has some major holes in his offensive game at the same time. Uh, I think he's valuable – as a super utility guy, I think on this team, he, he probably needs to stay your shortstop as long as he's hitting somewhat. So that's a long way of saying, like, yeah, like that's that's Nico. I, I still like the guy, but he also frustrates me.
0: Yeah. And, and again, he overall, I just feel like he's hit a lot better or at least come up with bigger hits than anticipated coming into the season, because coming into the season, I was you know his at bats were something that if I had to go to the fridge to get a beer or go to the bathroom, like I wasn't gonna be upset about missing. And it was probably gonna be go over to by
1: the time you were you're back.
0: Exactly, and now I'm actually kind of interested. So let's go to the pitchers. I thought this was a very interesting week for Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal because if you look at their box scores from their starts this week, it's not it's not gonna floor you. And even if you're watching, you see the the mistakes. You leave, a, you leave a hanger over the plate, and next thing you know, it's in the bleachers. But I was impressed by the way they kind of maneuvered the game. A.J. Hinch let them maneuver the game, and it kind of felt like they were learning on the fly. And when you have pitchers that are in their early 20s that are still very fresh, fresh-faced major leaguers... That's the kind of stuff that you want to see. I mean, I'm old enough to remember it wasn't it wasn't always an incline for Justin Verlander, you know, like and, and Max Scherzer. I mean, the only reason he was in Detroit to begin with is because an organization essentially gave up on him in Arizona. So those guys went on to become dominant pitchers. I think we both agree that Mize and will have potential to be in that conversation when if they develop at a certain rate. And so I was just more impressed with getting the opportunity, taking advantage of the opportunity to, like I said, maneuver the game and end on a nice note.
1: Yeah, I think that's what big league pitchers have to do. I mean, we see it. We talk about it. Guys, you're not going to have your A stuff every night. The guys who are really good at this can still do what Casey Mize did, which is go six innings, allow only one one earned run, and I, he really was not very good. He walked four guys. His command was off again. It was actually kind of funny post game. Someone, uh, you know, someone pointed out uh, to AJ like, "Oh, his stuff wasn't great." And AJ's like, "What? What do you mean? What do you mean he didn't have his best stuff?" And then two answers later, you know, unrelated, A.J.'s like, yeah, he's really learning to pitch without his A stuff. So I (laughs) think A.J. kind of contradicted himself there. From my, again, semi-trained eye, I didn't think Mize had his best stuff. I thought his command uh, got shaky again, especially kind of second time through the order. But A.J. Hinch has called these developmental innings where he's let these young guys kind of work through some trouble. Mize got out of, uh, I believe it was the sixth inning, um, against some really good Boston hitters, and I think that that you can count that as a moment of growth for him. I was even more impressed with Scooble's outing for the first time in a, you know probably three weeks at least. He looked a little bit more like Tarek Scooble. He hit 97 with his fastball. He wasn't there consistently, but the fastball ticked up. He uh, this has also been a thing where I think the coaches you know they don't want these guys sharing too much with the media anymore. So AJ tells us that he Scooble kind of ditched the splitter. He changed his grip, more of a traditional changeup grip. And sure enough, the pitch looked far better than it had all season. So we talked to AJ, and then we talked to Tarek. And I'm like, yeah, what were you kind of thinking with your splitter usage? And he's like, yeah, leave it in the zone a little more. He's like, oh, did you change your grip at all? He's like, no. I was like, well, your manager just said you did So, like, I, I don't know why you have to hide that from the press either. I don't think... Trade secrets, baby. I, I mean, any team that's getting their scouting reports from, uh, like, The Athletic is is not very good at scouting. So, But anyway, I, I thought Scoobel's stuff looked back on point. He looked a lot more like himself. He left two really bad pitches over the plate, and they got hammered. They got crushed. You can't really do that but he tied a career-high eight strikeouts. Really, other than two bad pitches, he had a really good outing. Pitch count still ticked up a little high. Uh, he's got to learn to be a little more pitch efficient. But he gives you five strong innings, two earned runs, eight Ks. It's a pretty good outing and and growth. And he worked through uh, the end of the fourth inning. He had his like kind of developmental moment there got out of some trouble there, came back, pitched a clean fifth. I think that was that was very good and, and a confidence builder for a young guy who probably needed it.
0: You and I are no strangers to post-game press conferences or availabilities in general, so we kind of know when things are being said that aren't serious. When I read AJ's most recent quotes, both from Mize's outing and Scoobles' I actually thought he was more praising than I initially thought he would be just watching the game. I don't know, is that does he how does he sort of like talk about those guys normally and did he seem more like impressed with those last two outings than he had been before?
1: Um, yes and no, or, I mean, really, yes. I think he definitely spoke highly of Scooble. I think he liked the way Scooble used his change-up. He liked the fact, kind of like I said, Scooble looked a little more like himself. So I think he definitely was there. Um, again, I, you know, I mentioned the anecdote of like him saying, what do you mean he didn't have his best stuff? And then later admitting he didn't have his best stuff. I think that that gets at AJ started to become a little bit protective of Mize and Scooble in the press because... Let's be honest, they're, they're under a microscope. They're the guys we're asking about the most. All their starts get picked apart as much as... Uh, I, I mean, I do it. When Meisen Scubel pitch, I write down every pitch, the velocity, what happens. I want to really be in tune with what they're thinking, how they're developing. I'm going to be honest, when Jose Urania's pitching, I don't do that. Like, I still pay attention, but I don't literally write down every single, you know, pitch velo or whatever. So, Mize and Scoob are under more scrutiny. I think AJ is aware of that and is kind of trying to to take some of that pressure off of them a little bit. I think maybe you kind of saw that with Mize. I don't think there's any way AJ liked the fact that he had four walks. But you do, I mean, again, look at the line. Six innings, one in a run. Like, that's that's a really good start. Like, why would you, how could you not be encouraged about that? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's, uh, I think the manager probably thinks very much what we think of it is that it was a, pro- a positive week for both of them, a step forward for both of them, maybe not perfect, but, uh, but better than we had seen the past couple outings for sure.
0: What is Casey Mize, Mize's like strikeout ceiling? Cause I'm looking at, his outing so far: four, five, four, one, six, three strikeouts. Generally speaking, not very high numbers. Uh, is he a guy that projects to be a high strikeout kind of pitcher? Was that his book in the draft? Uh, like you know, or is or is that really not going to be what his bread and butter is?
1: Yeah, I think coming out of Auburn, I mean, my's averaged 12.2 K per 9. His uh his junior year at Auburn, I don't think he was ever pegged as a guy who was going to strike out 12 per 9 in the majors, but you looked at him as a, you know, maybe a nine uh nine strikeout per 9 inning type of guy in the minors. He sat around 8.7, 8.8. That's probably what I would peg him as this year. He's at 6.3 Ks per nine, and I think there's there's one thing that pretty stand, that stands out very clearly is his strikeout pitch is supposed to be this splitter, this A-D grade splitter, and the splitter even in his most recent outing uh, has not been there. I you know it's it has not been like the splitter we saw last year that dives off the table. We've talked about before that very good start he had in Houston. He was using it almost like Scooble, uh used his changeup in this most recent outing where it acted more like just a changeup than this, this uh, incredible splitter. Mize hasn't really had that out pitch and I'm not sure if he just has struggled to get a feel for it right now, or if the coaching staff is trying to alter that a little bit. I don't know why you would alter a, a guy's pitch. That was his main calling card. I think, that's a pretty simple explanation. His number one strikeout weapon has just not been there, and uh, that's that's a big reason that his strikeouts are down. You could also argue he's really focusing on hammering the zone because he struggled with command, um, so maybe that's keeping him from, from attacking with a strikeout mentality as much, and even though that's actually been good for him, I think in his spring outings you could see him trying to induce strikeouts to the point that he was nibbling around the zone and he wasn't effective. So that's that's what's going on. Uh, I think you want to start seeing some more Ks, some more swing and miss. I think that happens if the splitter comes back. Um, I don't think he's going to lead baseball in strikeouts, but uh, he's also not like a pitch-to-contact guy. I think one of the great things about Casey Mize is he was seen as a reliable command guy with good stuff even though now that we've seen him in the bigs for you know, 10 outings, it, it, that hasn't quite been his billing. So uh, we'll see how it evolves going forward.
0: Moving on from the Young Bucks to the really old head, quite an interesting week for Miguel Cabrera. So the beginning of the week, basically all Cabrera news was how he was on the worst stretch of his career and worst, uh, worst start. Of his career and was a twenty something at bats without a hit or whatever, and yeah. we're recording this on Saturday night, back to back games with a couple of hits. He passes Babe Ruth on the all time hit list. That's all well and good. And also sandwiched in this week between the hitless streak and you know getting you know barreling the ball a couple times is Albert Pujols gets DFA by the Angels, and naturally. Cabrera gets looked at next by Tiger Twitter and baseball Twitter in general as the next aged-out superstar potentially, and so now we got to have the conversation about his contract. Could he, you know, could this happen to him, especially if his numbers continue to be so poor? Uh, I don't pretend to be an expert on that, Cody. I lean no just because that would seem a little bit out of character of how we've talked about Cabrera based on how Al and Chris have talked about Cabrera and the whole point he has his contract to begin with. But I could be talked out of that position.
1: I think there are some some major differences between Cabrera and Pujols and their situations and their respective franchises. So anyone who thinks Miguel Cabrera should be DFA'd tomorrow... Uh, is overreacting, is not really living in reality. The reason uh, Albert and the Angels parted ways because there, there wasn't really playing time. The Angels, although I think they, they still are just below 500 right now, you got Mike Trout, you got Shohei Otani, Joe Manager, manager, you have Anthony Rendon. Like, you need to make the playoffs. You can't waste another year of Mike Trout's prime. Dire need Um, to make the play. Like like you have to. And and Albert has kind of weighed that franchise down, I think, for the past five years. He's been about a below replacement level player on this massive contract, and he can still hit for a little power, but he just hasn't performed. You want Otani occupying that DH spot every day, so you can't put Albert there. Um you got another kid who's playing pretty well at first base. So I think a lot of things came to a head where it seems like they approached him were like you can't play all the time. Like we can't keep giving you abs. We're trying to win baseball games, and he didn't like that, and he got released. I think you know it's you know David Ortiz went off on it, and I I see where guys like that are coming from, and that it it's hard to see a great. I mean, one of the great players of my generation, uh, not have this. Um, you know what what's the word?
0: It never ends smoothly for these superstars like it uh, hardly ever yeah. does
1: very rarely so so i've heard like oh well he needs like the the jeter send off or even he's had that a little bit it's like well that's just not always the reality it's not the reality because he was playing on a team that was trying to win games and he wasn't producing the difference with miguel cabrera he's on a team that's not really trying to win games there is no one better coming to replace him i think you know even if I'm still to believe, I don't know, that you can continue to hit Miguel third or fourth. But when you look at the numbers, like, there's really no one to replace him even in the order right now. I think still the name, Miguel Cabrera, can can get in a pitcher's head a little bit. So until some other guys start hitting, you know what, maybe even leave him there. Now, if Mazzara, someone gets hot, I, I'm definitely in favor of bumping Miguel down in the order. Uh but Miguel's also the only reason, you know, Miguel's still going to sell you some tickets right now if you're if you're a Tigers fan. He's still going to sell you some jerseys and some tickets. Oh, and Especially the, on uh, Milestone, and watch. Milestones, his Milestone pursuit. That's probably going to be one of the only things that gets fans in the stands late this summer. So I don't think, you know, he would have to continue hitting below 100 for this to even be a discussion. And he's a better hitter than that. I don't know that he's a 300 hitter anymore. I don't know that he has much pop left but Miguel is not going to hit below 100 the rest of this season. Um, so I think he's around. I do wonder if this Pujols move could still foreshadow maybe something next year, maybe once he clears those milestones, maybe once he's a little closer to the end of his contract, when the Tigers, in theory, are a little bit more serious about trying to contend. I still just don't see a graceful ending in sight for Miguel Cabrera because he's already been... A uh, borderline replacement player for several years now. He hasn't been healthy. He's not playing well right now. In a way, if he were on the Angels, he could he could very much have a similar fate. But because he's on the Tigers, he's still kind of the best, the uh, the biggest show in town. Um, so it's 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 a tough, it's a delicate situation. I think if you're a Tigers fan, you should try to embrace Miguel and the milestone chase this year. Um, because I don't know what the future holds beyond that.
0: And also, for whatever it's worth, there is an element of like Miguel Cabrera will forever be known as a Tiger, whereas Albert Pujols mm-hmm. will forever be known as a St. Louis Cardinal. Yeah. And and also, we, we hear, we see a lot of complaints about the way the Tigers are run financially. And I'm not here to say what's right or what's wrong, but I am here to say that I can point to one franchise out west that spends money like there's no tomorrow, and it's gotten you a boatload of nothing, and that's obviously the Angels. I mean, the Pujols contract. Remember they signed Josh Hamilton, Josh C.J. Hamilton, Wilson, Bobby Abreu before that. Bobby Abreu, uh, some bad deals. The, Rendon, you know, I know it's only like year two or whatever, but you know what difference did that make last year? And uh, th- there's other guys. You know, spent a lot of, on Otani, who, you know. You know, he's looked great this year, but there was one too long ago, we were like, uh, was the hype was the hype fake on this guy? So I guess my larger point is that, like, there's there's ways to spend money on your team and get nowhere. So I, I'm not just, in general, just thinking that you can legit buy a championship.
1: Yeah, I'm not here to defend the Tigers' spending habits, because I do think they should sure, have been... Yeah. Sl- I mean, if you spend $10 million more this offseason, I think... We're not looking at just a it's fair, completely very fair. trash dumpster fire of a baseball team that we're that we're covering right now, but yeah, like there's you know you're also seeing. I mean, in part, the argument that oh well, the only reason we're in this rebuild is because of how aggressive Mike Illich spent, and there's a degree of truth to that. And at least the Tigers got uh, got to a World Series, and we're we're contenders in that window. You're right, the Angels have signed. Almost like a, a a handful of Jordan Zimmerman deals. I mean, that's a little bit of a stretch, but uh, it's yeah. I mean, it's ugly. It's ugly, and you have Mike Trout, who is Willie Mays statistically, and uh, and you're not winning with the guy. It's 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 rough, and that should be Joe Madden's your manager. That should that team should be the face of baseball, and it's just not.
0: Yeah, and you're in Southern California. You know, I mean, all the things line up. And by the way. Uh, Because I listened to some New York sports talk radio. The Yankees fans are very dissatisfied with their ownership as well. And they're talking about, like, if it wasn't for 2009, like, we'd be thinking about this franchise completely different. So, you know, you look at what the Rays do. Like, there are different ways to build a team. The current infrastructure, riddled with flaws, obviously. That's why they got 10 wins and however many losses. But I, I, there is some caution there. That's all, that's all I'm saying. There is some caution out west with the Angels because again they got nothing to show for it. So moving on to what is obviously the more important development than what's going on in the major leagues is we got minor leagues this year. We got to see some of the uh, some of the top prospects get to work. Tiger's Twitter does a phenomenal job of like getting the videos out there of these guys and, and keeping updated. I highly commend Tiger's Twitter for spreading the news on that. Uh, Riley Green looks like a stud. I mean, we already knew that, but it is nice to see Dylan Dingler looks like a stud. Uh, and Spencer Torkelson looks like a guy who's, I don't know, is he in his head? Like, you, you, you did get to talk to him this week. We were We were hopeful that you would be able to, you know, get your interview with him. You did. You wrote a story. It's on The Athletic right now. If you're a subscriber, you can read it. If you're not a subscriber, you could subscribe, and then you can read it, and he just kind of seems like a guy that has had a lot of things thrown at him, and is he in his head or does he not know the magnitude of it now? Like, like what is it about Spencer Torkelson that he just hasn't had early returns? And I'm not overreacting in terms of like calling a bust or whatever, but you know, there's no getting around what he did in spring training. And then, you know, his first couple games over in uh, West Michigan.
1: Yeah, this is, I mean, we've gone through it with Casey Mize and it's again, like, how do you talk about these guys? Because it would be, um, completely asinine to say Spencer Torkelson is a bust based off his first four minor league games. But then he was one for 27 in spring training, and he was one for his first 18 with 10 strikeouts in high A. And I saw all those spring training at-bats. I've seen um, a good chunk of those West Michigan at-bats. And they haven't really been competitive at-bats. It's been overly passive, taking pitches down the pipe, not being aggressive early in counts, and then kind of getting down. You're down 1-2-0-2, taking some bad swings. I saw a video of his first hit. It wasn't really a pretty swing. He rolled over. It just happened to get in the gap between uh, short and third. His second hit of the year, I think he got later in the game here on Saturday night, and it was kind of a liner up the middle. looked like a much better swing to me. But still, like this 1 1 guy who was supposed to be so polished, and you know, he was really two for what, like two for more than 40 at bats with uh, almost a 50% strikeout rate in spring training and early in high A. Like, that's that's pretty concerning. And when you actually watch the at bats, it's even more concerning. And Olive says hello. Hello, Olive. (laughs) I was gone all day. I had to, uh, had to let her roam free during this podcast. But, yeah, so, like, watching the at-bats, they haven't been pretty at all. And it's, like, it's too early to be super critical of the guy. But it's also, like, okay, like, how long is this going to go puzzling. On? Talk, yeah, It's puzzling. Yeah, I think that's a great word for it. And talking to Twerkelson, I talked to Torkelson, uh Sunday night. And I kind of came away like with a good vibe of just how he was like this in spring, but to hear him reflect on it, how laid back he seemed about it all. He was able to kind of poke fun on himself. He, I was like, "Have you ever had that big of a cold? A cold stretch?" And he said, "You know, no. I think I lost count." Um, talking about the number of hitless at bats, you know, made fun of himself for the the whole cutting himself with trying to open the can incident. And I came away with what I already thought about him, but this is a guy who's able to brush that off. This is not a guy who's going to, you know, beat the Gatorade cooler with a bat. This is a guy who's going to kind of laugh it off and come back ready for his next AB, which I think is a great advantage in a game of failure to, uh, to not overthink, to almost not be too smart. Uh, I thought Twerkelson projected that. That's what I, I heard of from him coming out of the draft. He's got kind of that California vibe. It's just very, oh yeah, it's all right. And that doesn't mean he's not competitive. Doesn't mean he doesn't want to win. Doesn't mean he doesn't want to perform well. In baseball, I think it's an advantage to be like that. Let me tell you what. I overthought every at bat I ever had, and I'm sitting here doing a podcast right now. You know, um, so so I came away. With a good feeling talking to Torkelson, like, oh, this kid's fine. There's not a guy who's going to be in his head. And then he goes out in his first four games this week, and he looks very much in his head. Like, I think the pitches he's laying off indicates that this is mental. I can't criticize his swing. He doesn't swing enough for it to be critical. I want to see the guy get more aggressive and trust himself. So maybe there's a little more doubt going on in his head than, than even he would like to admit.
0: You know, I said I'm not going to overreact with Turkleson. I might overreact with Dylan Dingler. Man, every highlight that gets shown. You know, he smacks, uh, I think he had a triple this week. He had a home run. Uh, he looks, he's got a hose for a right arm. And the, the book on him was, like, converted catcher. So he's like an athlete catcher. A- and he looks like a dude that is really athletic behind the plate. And... <laughs> And I'm admitting this, laughing at myself. My overreaction would be, oh, maybe they'll need to look at Henry Davis. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and and I, I'm not saying that would actually be good strategy, but I actually, I'm pretty excited about the, him and Riley right now are the guys that I'm when I see those little uh, gifs or you know small videos on Twitter, I I I don't scroll past. I, I want to see what they look like because. The, those dudes they look legit they look legit and i'm overreacting i'm admitting it but i'm getting i'm getting <laughs> high thoughts about dylan right now
1: yeah i i like dingler's profile as a player but i've been hesitant to jump all aboard the dylan dingler train in terms of like he's your your quote-unquote catcher of the future uh because so i was like okay how much power does he actually have? His numbers in college don't quite reflect the kind of the hitting profile. He does have a good approach. He walks a decent a bit, a decent bit. Also, I think some swing and miss didn't really see him a lot in spring. I I was kind of withholding judgment and I still am. I want to see a bigger sample, but he has had a Riley Green esque start to his professional career and that he's, in West Michigan and he's just tearing it up his first few games and he's almost flashing some of those special starlight qualities that I do think Riley green possesses where you can't quite put it into words. You just know like this guy is for real. We're seeing some of that for Dingler right now. I would say let's see it a little longer. Let's see more of him defensively. How good is he actually? Um, How does he actually profile as a hitter at the major league level? So I'd pump the brakes a little bit, but nothing wrong with being excited about um, a kid who's having a really nice start to his pro career.
0: And with Riley Green, you know, we talked last week about flaming out essentially at the end of his uh, rookie season, and for very obvious reasons. Uh, the way he's picked it up in Double A, not that I was worried about it, but it was nice to see, like, okay. He's good. You know what I mean. Like, like you know, he was, he was, he look, he looks good at the plate. We don't have to, we don't have to go back to his most recent minor league outings to, to kind of see where he's at. He looks at home in Double A, and a uh, little bit of a jump there from what he had done previously. So we just didn't know. Uh, but that that swing, that swing's gonna look really sweet in Comerica Park. And I'm starting to think, it could be sometime next year. I mean, that that's the trajectory I see it.
1: Oh, I think opening day next year is not at all without of the question. I mean, I think it comes down to uh, are the Tigers for real about not manipulating guys' service time, regardless, unless he just really struggles maybe at the AAA level. I'm not in favor of of trying to rush him to the bigs this year, but uh, yeah, I you know I was worried again. Maybe I just worry about everyone swinging and missing too much. I don't know, and I'm not even a guy who hates the strikeout as much as most people. I was worried that there was more swing and miss in Riley Green's game than we had seen. I think he did have a three strikeout night one we, um, one night this week, but he's also really connected. I watched um, all of his at bats, his uh, in, in the Erie opener, and I was really impressed. Even though he had two strikeouts that night, I was really impressed by how he worked counts, how he put together some quality at bats, saw six seven pitches, the signs of a of, of a mature hitter. And it actually looked like he was kind of spinning off on his front foot a little bit that night. I saw the video of his home run the following night, his grand slam, and that was not the case. So his swing mechanics look as good as ever to me. I think he hit a triple here on Saturday night. So a lot to be encouraged about with Riley Green. Again, he's going to continue to face tougher and tougher pitching. So let's not rush him to Comerica Park just yet. But again, uh, encouraging to see that he is not at all overwhelmed at the double a level he's still only 20 years old he's young for for you know playing in the eastern league right now and he absolutely looks like not only does he belong he's he looks like the best player on his
0: team all right cody so this podcast publishes on monday which means we'll be a day out from mother's day but i have a little bit of a mother's day story that is detroit tigers related so being my father a big baseball fan obviously big detroit tigers fan we're living in uh, in North Texas, and this is the year 2002. The Tigers that year were playing at the ballpark in Arlington on Mother's Day. So my dad thinks, this will be great. It'll treat the whole <laughs> family to go to the ballpark, watch Favorite Team. You know, it's Mother's Day. This will be a great Mother's Day treat.
1: Sounds a little more like a Father's Day treat.
0: Well, unfortunately, they weren't there on Father's Day, so we had to make (laughs) do with Mother's Day. So, uh, Before I get into the story, I just want to read the starting lineup for uh, this Tigers team. Remember, this is a year before their legendary 119 loss squad. So, Damian Jackson, Robert Fick. I know you remember Robert Fick. My man, my man. Bobby Higginson, Randall Simon. Oh, my man, the sausage man. Shane Hatler. Craig uh, Paquette, Jacob Cruz, Mike Rivera, and Jose Marcias. and uh, Jared or excuse me, Jeff Weaver was one of the starting pitchers. I got his autograph that day. I also got Robert Fick's autograph. I always liked players because I throw as growing up playing baseball, throw right bat lefty. I always liked guys that did that as well. So I was like, oh, you know, Robert Fick, Bobby Higginson, always liked them. I didn't get Bobby's, but I got Robert Fick's autograph and Jeff Weaver. While I was getting the autographs, where you're standing in line by the dugout and all that stuff, and even though it's the opposing team, there's a lot of people that just want to get autographs with their kids and all that stuff. While I'm standing in line getting autographs, I'm with my, uh, my first youngest brother, Aiden, who's two years younger than me. We're in line. My mom comes up to me. And says, you guys need to stay here. Don't move from this line, this general area. I was like, you know, okay, whatever. But she's like frantic. So what happened was my dad and my youngest brother, Liam, who's five years my junior, go to the concession stand. And at the time, Liam is like four-ish, give or take. Go to the concession stand. My dad hands Liam... The drink or the peanuts or whatever and then he pulls out his wallet to pay the concession stand worker he turns around and Liam is not there Liam is gone so for an hour my youngest brother is missing in the ballpark in Arlington and so I actually I talked uh I I talked to my mother today to get to get some uh some details on this I was like what was your mood like she goes. I was pretty much freaking the f out, <laughs> which is uh, which is uh, quite a reasonable response. So the 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 security team at the ballpark, top notch. They shut down. No one was allowed to exit the ballpark, like at all. They shut it completely down, and no kid was allowed to go up an escalator, uh, by themselves. So they. They eventually found Liam, because, you know, was give him, like, you know, approximate height, weight, and, you know, what he's wearing or whatever. They eventually found Liam on the complete other side of the ballpark at another concession stand. He had baseball cards in his hand. He had a hat. He had, like, cotton candy. I think there was some southern hospitality around there where some... Some uh, some fans just saw like you know a kid by himself, and maybe you know, thought he looked like he needed some baseball cards. a had a T-shirt. I mean, he collected uh on this hour long extravagant uh, trip around the ballpark in Arlington, and uh, and so I asked my mother where that ranked on her uh, mother's days in her life, and uh, she said, well. It's one I would not like to repeat, and I have not been back to the ballpark since. (laughs) And, mind you, we've gone to, like, Cowboys games. We've gone to, like, Oklahoma City Thunder games. We've gone to the Tigers games in Detroit. It's not like, you know, she's not really bad at being in the sports, but she'll do it as an event. Never been back to the ballpark since then. So that was her Mother's Day in two thousand. And two, and I asked her how close she was to divorce um, after this. And she said it was, quote, questionable there for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I just wanted to share that anecdote because, uh, you know, yeah, we'll go to the ballpark for Mother's Day. You know, got three young kids and uh, and yeah, so that was that was my that was Mother's Day at the ballpark. So, hopefully, if anyone's going to games, you know, uh, for that holiday, they have a better experience than my mother did.
1: That's good. I have a couple quick notes off that. Number one, the 2002 Texas Rangers went 72-90. and 90. Look at this lineup. Ivan Rodriguez, Rafael Palmeiro, Michael Young, Alex Rodriguez. They also had uh, Juan Gonzalez, Rusty Greer, Carl Everett, Gabe Kapler, Hank Blaylock. Just a stacked lineup, and they won 72 oh, yeah. games. Now, we won't talk about their pitching staff. Did have a couple names, Kenny Rogers, Ho Park, but their pitching was just awful. Uh, but a really fun baseball team, despite being terrible. Another note, I once, I think I was in fifth grade, got lost at the Six Flags right across the street from the ballpark. I don't even remember the whole story. I feel like I was just old enough to... Not totally freak out, but I was uh I was separated from my family. I got put in like this like trolley car thing for lost children and <laughs> and luckily, I saw my parents just walk by and I had to tell like the lady who's watching me I was like, there they are and uh, so luckily I was not stranded at six Flags forever.
0: Well, I'll tell you what I went to uh, I went to the new ballpark last weekend and it it's really nice. It's really nice. Kind of weird to see turf. I don't know how you feel about turf. We don't have to spend a whole lot of time on this. Yeah, I like but it. I, it, it looks really strange. And also the roof is a lot smaller than you think. Like not... It doesn't like cover the whole field, if that makes sense. Like they have it open, but it's kind of like a large slit. More so than like completely open, if that makes sense. But the ballpark itself, the experience is really nice. Um, I will say this though. If anyone... Uh, Happens to be in this era because we had a listener who went to a game earlier uh, this year, so it's not out of the question. If anyone goes to a Texas Rangers game now, uh, it's not for the COVID fate of heart. There's a lot of people there. I believe that. There's a lot of people there, and uh, I don't think masks are required. They just have signs to say please wear mm-hmm. your mask. But but anyway, it's it's a great ballpark to to walk around and uh and see but i I, the turf thing i don't it's gonna take a while for me to get used to that so so that's my mother's day um spiel cody i believe you owe your mother an update on your dating life
1: yeah i do i I gave my mom the mother's day shout out last week uh And I actually talked to her on the phone uh, this week. I know she appreciated it. The dating update. I guess she's actually up to date on this too for the most part uh, because of the phone conversation. But uh, third date coming up Monday. I think there are two things worth sharing. Um, Remember when I talked to Spencer Torkelson Sunday evening, last Sunday evening. I had a date last Sunday evening. How did I pull that off? Uh, I was very honest at the start of the date. I said, I have to do this interview that was just scheduled. Uh, it's going to be like 10, 15 minutes. I'm going to go to my car. I'll, I'll be right back. And I was like, if she's not cool with that, then there's never going to work out because I'm a sports writer. That happens all the time. Uh, luckily, she was very understanding. She was cool about it. I knocked out the interview in, in 13 minutes, came right back. Uh, she asked all these questions about Spencer Torkelson, despite not really being a huge sports fan, it doesn't seem like. So I think that was good. That's and a really good two, Well, I mean, now people are just going to think I'm a terrible person. But number two, so date three is playing miniature golf. Uh, I do not intend to let her win. Okay. And granted, this has been discussed too. She claims she is competitive. And I said, good, because I'm not going to let you win. And she was like, all right. And, And she seemed up to the challenge. I think there's this thing where like, oh, I'm still supposed to let her win. But I'm not gonna let her win. I don't let anyone win. I never let my little brother win. Very at competitive guy and, you are, and, and that's probably why he quit all sports. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I'm not gonna let her win. And if that takes the relationship, then again, like that's one of those things that uh, I'm not budging on. I need someone who who can handle the challenge of miniature golf. I don't
0: I don't recommend this, uh, especially for someone you just started dating. But just in general. Uh, t- talking about being competitive, I, one time I played my fiance one-on-one in basketball. Uh, she was a high school basketball player. I was not. I, um, was always like the last guy I cut from the team in basketball, but you know, it's a fun sport. I enjoy playing it. And you know, like, were there some elbows thrown? I'm not going to say there weren't from both parties, by the way. It was, it was not a, uh, jump shooting contest. I'll just phrase it like that. I don't recommend that, but I, I get where you're coming from about the competitive thing. Who won? Of course I did. I mean I wasn't all gonna, right, <laughs> <there we go. laughs> I wasn't gonna lose. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was you know, that just wasn't gonna happen. It was not for a second. But but yeah, so hey, that side of you is gonna come out eventually, my man. So you know, for we, sure. get it out of the way early. Miniature, miniature golf is not a bad uh not a bad way for it to happen. Uh real quick. You did try a barbecue sauce this week, Cody, and I am very eager for this review.
1: Oh, another great story! I'm sorry for all the all the stories this week. Uh, so I'm in I'm in Meijer, and I decided to take another peek at the barbecue sauce just just see if there's anything that catches my eyes. Like there's got to be something here, and I see one bottle of Billy Sims barbecue. Shout out Billy! Now. This is a long backstory. I know Billy Sims. I wrote a six thousand word story on Billy Sims when I covered the Oklahoma Sooners. Uh, did a lot of work trying to figure out Billy Sims because he's it, it's one of my favorite stories I've ever written, and it is Billy Sims is one of the most fascinating people I've ever encountered because he is very gregarious around OU. He still I think shows up at Lions games, signs autographs, loves interacting with the fans. His personal life is actually still somewhat of a mystery. He was he was in a lot of debt. His family situation is kind of blurry. I talked to one of his sons for this story, and it was actually um, a really enlightening experience. And I think his son um, texted me. and was like, thank you for writing that story. It was at Christmas, and he's like, we all agreed as a family we need to talk more or something like that. And so that was like it was also what kind of one of the more meaningful stories I've ever done. Billy Sims also kind of a ridiculous character man I I've, I've seen him in the Detroit airport once like he's just I once asked Billy Sims where do you live because I didn't know where he lived and he said Norman Dallas Detroit everywhere and I was and so I still don't really know I finally just Covered his, his more permanent residences in the Dallas area, but it was very hard just figuring out, like, where do you live, man? And he just drives everywhere. He flies to Detroit, but he drives between Oklahoma and Texas, like, every weekend, just signs autographs at, like, Walmarts, you know. Anyway, he has, he has his chain of barbecue restaurants as well. I actually think, is there still one in Ford Field? I think the ones open in Metro De- Detroit closed. They still exist in Oklahoma. Uh it's real mediocre barbecue. That's kind of what it's supposed to be though. It's like a, you know, quick serve, like, you know, almost like fast food type barbecue a little bit. And, uh, I've ate it with Billy Sims. In fact, once at Billy Sims barbecue, sitting under a picture of Billy Sims, uh, in a lion's Jersey, um, in Norman, Oklahoma. Oh, anyway, I'm like, so I'd had his sauce before, but like just at the restaurant and I was like, oh, I've got to get this, it has his smiling face on it, and I get it, and I had some ribs, and as you would expect, it was a thoroughly, just average, mediocre barbecue (laughs) sauce, which I think is exactly what it's supposed to be. Like, if you're just looking to add some barbecue for something, or maybe you want some barbecue for like, I don't know, chicken nuggets, like... I can't say i wouldn't recommend it it wasn't bad it wasn't great it uh, pales in comparison to some of the other sauces we've talked about but like just if you if you're doing making some kind of recipe where you just want the most standard little barbecue flavor billy sims barbecue can't go wrong with it i think that's the exact design the exact purpose of the restaurant and of that sauce shout out again billy
0: and if you want to put a couple more dimes in his pocket, you know why not? I mean, he gave he gave Lions fans a good show, you know. And I was actually I have a, a small Billy Sims story. Uh, I don't know this for hundred percent fact, but I was told that my uh, my si- closest youngest brother, Aiden, his youth football team was financed by Billy Sims. He's a very gracious guy, because uh, the the youth coach knew him at Oklahoma or something like that. I don't know that for a fact but that's sort of like the story that goes around. Also, I was at a card show a few weeks back and he was there signing autographs so I I got like uh got my dad a Lions hat that was, you know, just meant to to be signed and so we went together and 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 got Billy Sims to uh to to sign the hats or whatever. And if you've never been to like a card show, the way it works is like you essentially have to like buy a ticket to get this person's autograph and then if you want an inscription it's usually like another 10 bucks depending on you know who who it is and what their pricing is. So it was an extra 10 bucks for an inscription. I didn't really need that. That doesn't mean that much to me. Some people it's it's serious for them. Didn't matter to me, so I didn't get that. So we talked to Billy. By the way, does a great job of making sure every single fan feels like they had a Billy Sims experience. Like, you know, smiling, where are you from? You know, we talked Lions football. Hopefully they can turn it around. You know, all this stuff. He's like, downtown Detroit's awesome. You know, you, you feel like you know him. He's got that gift. But anyway, the funny thing. So I didn't pay for an inscription. He signs my hat. And Billy Sims has basically two inscriptions that he does on autographs. He has 78 Heisman, 80 Rookie of the Year. And he wrote on my Detroit Lions hat, 78 Heisman. And I just think that's hilarious. So I didn't pay for it, number one, and I didn't ask for it either. He just did it. I didn't pay for it, number one, and number two, it's like the wrong the accolade inscription on the NFL. Yeah, it's hat. the wrong. He just accolade. wants you to know both. You yeah, know? Like, I mean, <laughs> and and I ain't mad about it. I got it right here. It's I I think I think that's awesome. I I think the world of Billy and and the story of Billy Sims. So I was. I'm not gonna lie. I was pretty hyped that you uh, you found that barbecue sauce in Detroit. The last bottle,
1: and there was only one. There was only one bottle of it. I had never seen it in stores before. I wouldn't be shocked if it's. I'm now of the opinion it's just always sold out because it's in such hot demand. Uh, got one bottle of it. Had to buy it.
0: Yeah, Billy Sims is awesome. All right. Well, we ran a little long on this one worth it for the mothers day anecdotes, worth it for Billy Sims always. If we could find a way to get Billy Sims in this podcast every week, trust me, we would. So so we'll see if the young the young pitchers continue to improve. We'll see if the offensive output, which actually has not been that bad the past week, continues to kind of be one of the few shining lights on the team. We'll see if the bullpen continues to give away runs like it's nobody's business and the defense to suffer a lot of, a lot to look for the detroit Tigers this week cody but we'll talk about it next week please subscribe rate and review follow us on twitter at turn corner pod he's at cody stevenhagen i am at kieran underscore steckley so for cody stevenhagen i'm kieran steckley thank you for listening